Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, and now seemingly regular co-host, Mr. Backcourt B on Twitter, Tyler Rucker, is back with us. I'm so excited, Tyler, to jump in, keep talking about some of these 2022 NBA draft prospects now that it seems like we're fully rolling. Everybody's giving their thoughts on Twitter. We're having um, some thoughts shared amongst some other people within a group chat. Uh, everything seems like we're trending towards the right direction for 2022. So how you doing, man? I'm doing good. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's coming around the corner quickly. It's about to start up. So I feel like the, the discussion panels are starting to blossom. They're starting to get bigger and the draft talk is, is uh, getting more advanced. So it's an exciting part of the year. Yeah, right. And we got the NBA starting up tomorrow. We're recording mm-hmm. this on Monday the 18th, so I cannot wait to watch some of those games as well. Funny enough, I'll be doing like a guest podcast appearance during the first game. But hopefully, yeah, of course, right? Oh, oh exactly. And we have to work during those podcast or during the games, but uh, it feels good. It feels amazing that we get to say basketball counts tomorrow. So exactly, du- duty calls. Hopefully, I'll be able to catch all of the uh, the Lakers Warriors game. I'll be excited to see how Mr. Russell Westbrook does in his first game with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But that's enough of the NBA talk. That That's not exactly what we're here to do on this particular podcast. Mm-hmm. We're here to talk about the young guys. Uh, we went through some top freshmen on our last podcast, guys who we feel are going to be firmly projected within the top five, top six for what should be the majority of the 2021-22 NCAA season. But now – I want to move on to some other quote-unquote top freshmen that we want to talk about today. Some of these guys, like the first guy we're going to talk about, Jabari Smith, 6'10 forward out of Auburn, is actually already being projected, at least by ESPN and Mike Schmitz, as a top five caliber prospect. He's billed as a power forward slash center combo, like a 4-5. First of all, I'll just, since we were talking a little bit before we started recording the podcast, that I was going to lean on you for a few Jabari Smith thoughts. That's kind of where I want to start is that positional classification. And I know that we're in this awesome era with like positionless basketball and nobody's necessarily concerned about a lot of those categorizations and classifications anymore than the defensive end. But I don't know if I see him as like a, a four or five, somebody who I even necessarily want playing minutes at the five. I think I would label him more as a traditional forward, like a four man, not even a four, three, not a four five five four, just a four man. How do you feel about where you think his position is in the NBA, or where it will trend to? He definitely seems like one of those guys that has the biggest swing factor, if you want to word it that way, of all the top prospects. Like I think he could climb in a hurry. I think he could maybe fall down a little bit. I I'm definitely intrigued with him more than any other prospect you know early on I was kind of trying to figure out how I liked the fit with him going to Auburn just because I don't I don't know it's just they've had a history of being some tough defensive minded guys now you're bringing more of a lengthy forward that should get after it offensively so um, I was a little hesitant at first I think like you I'm more considering him more of like a traditional four than a five but you know, the the more you watch, the more you kind of get intrigued with all the tools he potentially is going to have. You know, it, it's I'm not putting him in this category, but he he has like that vibes of what we just saw Evan Mobley, more of like the mobile, lengthy, big with some good size that 
little fluid that should be able to space the floor. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying he's Evan Mobley, but there definitely seems that's the type of, you know, prototype forward we have with a guy like Jabari Smith. So I'm going to be really intrigued to watch him at Auburn just to see what kind of, you know, what he can put on the floor. Like, what are we going to get? Are we going to get a guy that's a outside top five you know maybe he should go earlier than some think or are we going to get a guy that maybe we get a little cold on throughout the year and we're like okay maybe he's more lower towards like top 10 area or i don't know he, he's definitely one i'm puzzling on i don't know how you feel about it it's just i'm intrigued by what all the tools can be if they come together because if they come together i think he could be a top five pick so i think the hope is that he will be a foreman at Auburn. You would assume that Walker Kessler transfer in now is probably going to play the five spot for that. Mm -hmm. team, at which point Jabari would slide over as a four. And yeah, he is definitely one of those face up type bigs. He's not your traditional back to the basket type of player. Although he does have a really nice turnaround shot mm -hmm. um, when he goes over that shoulder, he can definitely hit some shots in that range. I question how much of the shooting is real overall. I mentioned the fadeaway game, but what kind of range does he definitely have on his jump shot? Can he reliably stretch it out to the college three-point line? Is that going to be something in his arsenal? Or is he going to just be someone that exclusively turns, faces, and then tries to drive inside? Um, one of the things I picked up on the tape that I do have a question about, and, and I'll get your thoughts. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on this or if it'll just be a question for both of us. What's his decision-making going to look like with the ball in his hands once he attacks a closeout? Because you would have to assume, right, they're, they're going to play offense at times where he's either going to be attacking from the corners or from the wing. And when he actually does attack that closeout, he gets on the move. What is his passing ability potentially going to look like? Will he turn the ball over or force like charge calls because he doesn't want to get rid of it? He doesn't recognize there's another read there. Is he going to show a little bit of passing ability on the move and make the right read? I think similar to how everyone got excited. You mentioned Evan Mobley's name last year. A lot of the reasons why everyone got so excited, it wasn't necessarily just that he could convert jump shots from all over the floor. It was also that he was an elite passer for somebody his size. And when I went back and tried to watch some of the high school tape, I really didn't see him passing the ball much at all. I wonder if that's going to be something that could maybe be unlocked. I wonder if that's just a part of his game that you just didn't get to see because it's high school basketball. He's bigger, stronger, more athletic than everybody else. They probably just want to feature him as a scorer first and foremost. Do you, how, do you think that that's something that can take shape in college at Auburn if we haven't necessarily seen a lot of evidence to that up to this point? Or do you think that, you know, that might be a part of his game that stays dormant or maybe we see negatives to it? Maybe he's not that type of player. I think, you know, from what I've watched, from what I've read, you know, what I heard, whatever you want to put it that way, I, I think he's not going to be an elite creator offensively. So obviously, if that's the case, you're going to we're going to have to find out in a hurry if he can create for his teammates. And I think that's one of the things we always get so excited about these prospects, especially bigs like guys like yep. Jabari with, you know, good size and potential yep. offensive weapons where it's. We get so excited in the preseason, but it's like, okay, what are they going to do when they get double teamed by better defenses and opponents at the college level? Can they calm down and make smart decisions? Can they keep the ball moving, make the right read? So I think 
I'm like you. I want to kind of see what he can do. Like, yeah, he's got the potential to be a floor spacer. He's got a nice little mid-range game. Maybe he can extend it to three-point range and show some flashes of consistency. But what can he do when he's getting heavy pressure? Like, what can he make the right reads? Does he know where to go with the ball? Does he know where the next pass should go so it's a wide-open look for somebody else? So I'm like you. I think that's the area where if you can check that box for a lot of evaluators and scouts, then you start entertaining the rest of it where it's like, okay, let's go down the list. If How is he defensively? How, what is he doing this way? But there's a lot of intrigue because, you know, Auburn's going to be a popular destination for scouts and evaluators. And a lot of us are going to be watching those games this year just because of the talent that team has. So I'm like you, I'm, I'm interested, I, especially when it comes to, what can he do when he's not scoring in, in, in a weird way to put it that, but you know what I'm saying? Well, you mentioned on the defensive end, and that is something he can do that doesn't rely on him scoring the basketball. And that's really the other question that I have about him. Does he prove himself to be a unique defensive weapon against wings and forwards? When you watch the high school tape, the answer would initially come back as yes. However, just seeing some of the competition he played against, I mm -hmm. don't feel like he went up against much of anybody other than when he was playing another top prospect who was billed as such. In the majority of the competition he went up against, I don't feel like he went up against players who I would consider to be in the same class as him athletically. So on the tape, it looks like he has good feet and he moves more mm -hmm. laterally. And that could be something that he offers. Not only can he be a weak side shot blocker, he can also be somebody that steps out and guards other wings on the perimeter do you think that is something that he has in his bag or, or by the film do you think that that's still technically a, a, a to be determined because that's really I think going to be a potential strong calling card for him in the NBA if that does work out because I don't consider him a true rim protector which is another real concern why I might have against playing him at five yeah I I, I think you kind of talked about it perfectly you know kind of hinted at it is we talked about this on the last week's episode where when you're watching high school tape, the truth is a lot of these guys are just way more athletic, way more dominant than yeah. the competition. So I find you have to kind of watch specific, like specific skills, like specific, like with Jabari, you want to lock in like, okay, defensively. Yeah. He might be blocking everything because he's just taller than people, but how about his feet? Like you hinted, like he's got quick feet. Can he move laterally? Do we think that will transition against college opponents that are more level playing field? I think there's definitely some intrigue. And if he can prove that early on to where he has some versatility defending, then it's opening a whole different type of prospect with higher potential. Maybe he's a two-way monster. Who knows? But yeah, I think, you know, what you're going off of is just, I think he's got the potential to do that. Yep. But like we say before, let's, okay, let's see it now against tougher opponents, quicker opponents. Like, let's see how you handle the curve because, you know, we want to see what these guys can do out of the gate because now in basketball, like as you go up, the learning curve gets harder. So it's like, how do you adjust to the curve right away? Yep. And I still think, he could be an asset defensively. I think he's more like you just hinted probably more of a bit of a weak side help, not just the dominant shot blocker, but you know, things change in college. So guys uh, all of a sudden start believing that they have another part of their game that they can unlock. So we'll see what happens.
he seems like one of those really raw, long prospects, kind of like this is going to become a popular name now for like years, like the next like two to three drafts, we're going to hear Patrick Williams name pop up all over the place. Oh, he's the guy who came out of nowhere and rose because of his athletic ability. We didn't know how much game he had at least to offer early on, but he's a guy who has put in the work. He's developed quietly, but also really nicely. And we would expect for him to have a breakout year because of some of the stuff he showed in his rookie season. Also in summer league is, is Jabari Smith kind of the next guy in, in line. Maybe, maybe not necessarily the same meteoric rise because Jabari Smith is at least on some preseason before he's already started out pretty high. I mentioned that Schmitz has a five on ESPN right now, but is he kind of that, that next guy in that mold? I think so. Um, it's just because that's kind of the way, kind of the way like that position is transitioning right now. I feel like the, the big guys that have size that either you have versatility defensively with some offensive potential or the other side, you have offensive like versatility with potential to become a defensive asset. But it seems like the the conversation with Jabari is so weird to me because I'm like you, I feel right now like he's a four. And yep. most of the time when you see guys with his size, you're like, okay, four, that's small ball five. Like that's just how the league has transitioned. And I don't know if I'm sold yet on him being a, like a small ball five, just because I think he's more of like a perimeter guy that, you know, he's going to have to add some frame. He's going to have to show that he's got some nastiness inside the paint. And maybe he will do that. But um, I definitely think like the Patrick Williams, the this could be Jabari if he becomes a top five pick. We could see those type of molds where it's a popular name popping up because it happens every year. I mean, we see a guy and then we start comparing him to the last year guy. Like we might eventually be getting Jabari Smith, Evan Mobley comparisons and and I don't know if I'll agree with them, but you know what I'm trying to say. So, and he—he's he, just another one of those forwards too, where I feel like the same thing with Patrick Williams. Not to steer this conversation too far in the direction of the NBA, but you look at what the Bulls did now—they put Demar Derozan next to him. So yeah, right. Treating him, you—you you can argue who's the four and who's the three, but either way, you put somebody next to him who you would think brings a little more speed, a little more craft and creativity from the perimeter. And I feel like some NBA team probably going to do the same thing with Jabari Smith, no matter where he's taken in the lottery, they're probably going to want to look to put that similar type of, not that, you know, some team's going to find another DeMar DeRozan to put next to Jabari Smith, but they're going to look for that type of player. And it kind of puts Smith in, in that more traditional four man's role where, yeah, you can create in a pinch, you can hit a mid-range shot every now and then off the bounce, but we're going to find different ways to move you around the court and make sure you're you're operating effectively without the ball as much or, or actually a lot more than the opportunities you're going to have to create with the ball in your hands because that may not be his ultimate skill set when he actually gets to the NBA. Right, absolutely. And I think, you know, I I could go down a rabbit hole. It's so important to have the surrounding pieces to bring out the best of a young talent. And I think, you know, we're going to find out with the bulls this year. Like, like I said, I don't want to get too off topic too, but like they did a good job of surrounding Patrick Williams where Patrick Williams can become his best potential. Like he doesn't have to be the offensive guy. Still, he can still grow and not feel pressured to carry the load offensively because we know his specialty right now is defense. And 
maybe that happens with Jabari Smith. Maybe next year, you know, maybe he shows at Auburn that he's a dangerous offensive asset that is still picking up the defensive side of the ball. And then maybe the next team that drafts him surrounds him with intelligent defensive assets that can bring out the best of him. I mean, you, you never know. That's why that's why it's exciting to see what he's going to do this year with Auburn, you know, because yeah, maybe he does also turn both sides of the ball. We don't know. And, and offensively, too, Patrick Williams, one of the best attributes he had coming out of college was I thought he was the best cutter. Yes, yes. And, and when you talk about throwing that into the mix, I know I could say the word cutting. It's like, oh, that's that's that. He's not making shots off the bounce. He's not making all these crazy three-pointers. Like, that's not a sexy skill, but it's an important one because it's an avenue for him to find a way to put the ball in the basket without having to do much, without operating outside of his comfort zone. And it's it's a way for coaches to make sure that he gets minutes on the court in some form or fashion minutes to match his defensive potential. Cause if you have to have him on the court defensively, he can't be a complete zero on offense. What can he actually do at the next level? And that'll be another thing. I'm, I'll be really interested to see how aware, what, what, what is Jabari Smith's IQ as far as processing the game when he does have the ball in his hands? Does he look to take advantage of those backdoor cuts? How's he reading what the defense is doing? So there's, there's on ball potential. There's off potential. I can see why Schmitz has him number five right now. I don't know if I'd be comfortable taking him right now with a top five pick, but it's also preseason. We have not seen this guy playing college yet. Although Schmitz did a great job of putting in his report that all the early word out of Auburn is that this kid's awesome. He's going to be awesome. And all of the hype will likely be justified by the end of the year. So he's going to be one of those nice, we'll take a wait and see approach with him. Mm -hmm. A guy that we'll move to next we have more tape on. I'm more comfortable in my evaluation with Caleb Houston. Um, listen, this guy, he's been labeled as a pure shooter. We know how good his shooting is. He gives me all of those Clay Thompson type vibes when that guy goes up with the ball in his hands. He always scores himself to the basket. Perfect form release. No wasted movement in a shot. Always holds his follow through. Th this guy is probably the best shooter in the draft. I'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who's going to come in and shoot better than him. But he's started to put together, and, and we saw this against USA and, and multiple times um, when he was playing for Canada this summer. He's started to put together some stretches of doing a little more than just being an exclusive spot-up shooter like a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, I actually think he offers immense value in transition. And When I was going back and watching some of the film, he knows when to leak out ahead of the defense and either fill the lane, sprint to the corner, or he even had some nice drives where he had the ball in his hands. He pushed and he was able to finish around the basket with, with a lot of consistency. He never looked lost in transition. And this comes back to just what I was talking about with Patrick Williams and what maybe Jabari Smith could provide. If you can do the most basic things on an NBA floor and ensure that you're getting minutes regardless of how many shots you're hitting, how efficient you are. If you can still provide value in other areas of the game, both offensively and defensively, that's how you're going to get the minutes to develop your game to the next level. And I think we can look at Caleb Houston as being drafted as like the, this ultimate shooting threat, but there's going to be nights. He's even going to have some of these nights in college probably too, where he's only like three of nine from the field. He's only like two of seven from three point range. What else do you bring to the table? And that's why some of the things that I looked at as far as him in transition, some of his playmaking off the bounce, he's not one of those like elite level 
type creators. He doesn't have that shake, that burst, that wiggle, but he can make the right reads. He's going to do smart things with the basketball, I guess is the most easy way to really wrap up that conversation. So how do you feel about Caleb Houston as a prospect, Tyler, from some of the film you've gone back and watched? What are your initial thoughts on him and where he might be able to be drafted? Um, more I watch, the more I love him. And it, it just, the love keeps building. I, I think, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I was on Corey's podcast with Corey and Albert and the draft app. We talked about some of these guys and there's a little bit of hesitation early on with, with those guys with Houston. And I was kind of like, why, you know, because when I watched him, he's, he's, he's a competitor. Um, yep. I'm like exactly what you said. I think he just does a lot of smart things and he plays really hard. He's feisty yep. and the shot's beautiful. What, what I come around to is I think everyone gets a little, I don't know why, but it almost seems like people get bored with evaluating shooters and I well, have no idea why. So funny enough, this is actually a note that I have in my doc right now. I said generally yeah. shooters like him aren't top five draft picks, but Houston could buck that trend because of his growing comfort level with the ball in his hands. And I know right. that what he what he does off the bounce isn't sexy, but a lot of times it's efficient for all right. the reasons that I laid out. So so yeah, maybe he is the one guy that could buck that trend a little bit. I mean, I would love it because it's it's annoying to do all these evaluations and get to the draft and all these shooters where you're like, this guy's going to help a team. And then he literally gets drafted like late because it's like, well, he can shoot, but what else can he do? And it's like, well, he plays smart and he knows when he can shoot at a high clip and he's going to help your team. But Put him in I'm a fast-paced offense and he's probably going to wreak havoc. Yes, and, and I, I think you bring up a good point in – He's going to be a dangerous transition threat. I He plays smart. He can shoot. He's got a gorgeous shot. And teams are going to want 3 and D guys. They always are. I mean, today, Well, that, no, that, D, that D is the part I have a little bit of a question about. But That's I'll, where I'll, I'm getting I'll at. Finish. Come on. Yeah. You're, you're jumping on me. That's where I'm getting at. So, like, he needs to show this year. I think if he could show early that he can become an asset defensively, that turns his – stock into a whole different conversation yep. like that could set flames to it you know he could just be like oh because teams always want three and d guys if you can prove and i'm not saying he's gonna be this guy but we just saw michael bridges get paid and i'm not saying he's gonna be the defender michael bridges is but if you can be a respectable defender with his threat offensively on the wings and transition and shows some more shot creation skills. I mean, teams are going to be wanting to watch him quickly because there's really intriguing tools here. And and I I like him. Um I even think he's going to be one of the younger guys in this class, so teams are going to take that into consideration. It, I was just intrigued with especially this last off or summer with everything he did with Canada. I was just intrigued watching those games because there's something there that there's a player that's rising to his confidence and coming to the surface. And I don't know, I, I'm intrigued, but I, I understand your point of consistency defensively. You know what I'm so, saying? 
So, so here's here's some of the the notes that I wrote down about his defense. So this is what I wrote: not the most okay. mechanically sound defender, but he's smart and heady. He seems aware of his surroundings and generally doesn't get caught in a ton of screens, which is good because he's not the strongest of perimeter defenders to fight through them. And, and strongest, I literally mean like he doesn't have a lot of meat on his bones. He, he right, right, right. Very strong yet. That will improve over time. But he could he could be someone who can guard multiple positions in time but will likely find himself guarding the other team's weaker wing matchup due to not having the requisite strength, like I said, yeah, to really have an impact one-on-one. And that's fine if he can do a good enough job on that guy, right? So let's Great. say let's say maybe it's not the other team's like weakest offensive player, but maybe it's like their second weakest offensive player, somebody who's like a fourth option maybe. If he can let that guy kind of be and, and not let that guy burn him, then that's fine. He's perfectly fine operating within the context of an NBA offense. We already know that. And as long as he's respectable on the defensive end, kind of like you laid out, he doesn't let that fourth option burn him, then I think he absolutely is worthy of kind of like the buzz he's gotten. He's kind of been this top 10 type prospect throughout this preseason process. I guess my question to throw it back to you, like if he doesn't jump a few levels defensively in college, will another team be willing to spend a high draft pick on an offensive weapon who isn't any league creator. Like you mentioned, you mentioned Mikhail Bridges. I actually thought that Mikhail Bridges was better shooting off the bounce than people gave him credit for. At Villanova, I completely agree. Especially yes. in his last year, but you still wouldn't classify him as one of these high level creator wing type prospects. So if Houston's not bringing that level of defense to the table, do you think he stumbles a little bit in the draft? It wouldn't surprise me at all. Cause I, I'm like you. It's funny you just brought that up. I thought the exact same thing. Michael Bridges was one of my favorite evaluations I've ever had. Just because it was like, he does so many things that aren't sexy, but it's simple. Understanding where he can pick the spots in the defense. Understanding how to get to his shot. And he played great defense. So it was like, watch. I thought he should have gone earlier. And he went where he went, and I was fine with it. But I was just like... Every time that guy got to the elbow and rose up for a jump shot, it was a bucket. And, and he knew he, I call it the Sean Livingston effect. Like I know where my <laughs> shot is. I'm going to get my shot. I'm not going to settle for this. I'm going to work a little harder. So the, what I'm getting at is those guys fall because I don't know why, but the NBA teams don't think they're sexy because they're like, well, what's his upside? And it's like, well, what if you could get a guy that's going to help you? And your team's going to take the next step forward and he's going to be a solid piece for years. Like you should want that guy, but I could see a, a route where Houston does fall and goes a little later than we might think. And I think a lot of that's going to come down to like what you're saying. How can he produce on the defensive side of the ball? Like, I don't need him to be a lockdown defender. That would be awesome, but I don't need it. Can he, put himself in the right position. Can he make the team better without being a lockdown threat? Can he, you know, is his, what, how's his awareness and anticipation? Like that's the little stuff where it's like, okay, teams might be like, okay, we could put him alongside a smart defender. That's way better than him. And he's still going to be able to help us out. So I think, yeah, I definitely could see him going later than we all think right now. And we could all look back and be like, man, how did he go 16th? You know, but I don't know. 
it's gonna it's gonna depend a lot about what he can show what it's like the shot creation the defensive side i mean what do you think do you think he's gonna potentially slip down well, or? what one one of the whole points of draft deeper is trying to give insight into the kinds of conversations that executives and scouts are having behind the scenes right that, yeah. that's that's <laughs> the whole point of this podcast now I can try and speak to that as much as I can. The, the one point I will make, though, is because a lot of our audience is found on draft Twitter. I think this kid's going to be a draft, uh, draft Twitter darling, regardless. Yes. Um, if he has a good enough year in Michigan, like I think everybody on draft Twitter is going to be like, why is this kid going top five? I think this kid should go top five. I think that's going to be a conversation to be had regardless. But we'll we'll move past Houston a little bit because I think that Everybody has a lot of tape on him. I think at this point, he just has to prove a few things at the college level. This kid, the guy I want to talk about next, he has a lot to prove at the college level, but I also think he has so much room to grow and so much upside, and that's that's Peyton Watson. Um, I, I put out a Twitter, uh, a tweet on Twitter the other day, and I said that if I had to choose one kind of dark horse guy to rise in the top five, of this draft, this would probably be my bet. Um, he's the, to me the most intriguing and possibly underrated wing amongst those projected top 10 to top 14 right now in 2022. Super, super raw. I even question if he's going to average double digit points this year at UCLA. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not in awe of his shooting or anything I've seen going back to the tape, but he's capable of making a variety of looks. I don't know how immediately he will translate, but my best guess is at least on the offensive end to start and probably throughout a lot of the year, he's going to be UCLA's best transition threat. He's going to rack up chunks of points on the break and off cuts, offensive rebounds because of his excellent length and underrated from what I've seen on the offensive glass. Like, I think that there's going to be so many simple ways that this guy can impact the game, and that's really how he's going to get a lot of his points, and he may not average a ton of them, but there's going to be some moments this year where he makes some highlight plays and we look back and we're like, wow, if he didn't make this bucket at this particular time. This could have very well changed the course of the whole game for UCLA. Maybe he has one of those energetic offensive putbacks, or maybe he has one of those awesome alley-oop finishes in transition. Um, and then defensively, he has great timing on blocks. He's one of the best shot contesting or blocking wings in this draft class. He doesn't have the best stance or technique defensively one-on-one, -on -one, but he's disciplined enough to where I think he can win matchups more times than not. And I think he can also avoid getting in foul trouble, which is generally a really key thing for some of these young guys that we consider raw, even on the defensive end. How do you stay out of foul trouble? How do you stay on the floor to impact the game in the ways that we know you're capable of? He just, he has the measurables. You look at this guy, he's, he's like 6'8", 6'9", 200 pounds, doesn't have a lot on his frame, but he's, he's really long and lanky. He's just one of those guys, he has the measurables, you look at him and you ask the question of, can he be one of the more versatile defenders when he gets to the NBA? Like if this guy's guarding two through four, if the shot making is real, it becomes legit, he's making shots off the bounce. Like I said, this is one of those guys that could fall into the top five contention. And I don't know if, a lot of that or any of that's going to happen at UCLA. I have no idea what Mick Cronin, by the way, one of my favorite coaches in all college basketball. I love Mr. Cronin. Um, I have no idea what Cronin's plans are for 
Peyton wants to be. He's just one of those guys. He could just have so many different flashes, even if he doesn't put together the most complete and efficient year. It's just where NBA teams look at him and they go, okay, sign, sign us up. Like, this is the type of guy that we're always looking for in the league. We can we can teach him how to shoot, or maybe we can work on his confidence a little bit. We can get him to shoot more. He brings so many other things to the table. We can't turn down drafting this guy high. Let's see what I think we were talking about a guy earlier that I think it could be a very similar story where we were talking about Patrick Williams. You know, it's – Patrick Williams was this versatile defensive asset that teams were intrigued with his upside long-term. And, you know, right during the pre-draft process, we thought, you know, I thought Williams was going to end up being sort of in the late lottery, mid lottery conversation. And then all of a sudden his name just got scorching hot. I mean, over the span of a month and Many thought he was going to go seventh overall. He ends up getting drafted fourth. You know, so teams are always going to be intrigued by that long-term potential. Like, I don't, like, Williams wasn't the best college stats. He still went fourth because people and teams and evaluators saw that stats weren't everything at college in that one year. That the young age, the young developing raw talent with the skills they wanted had this crazy upside. And I think watching Peyton Watson, you kind of have the similar vibe where UCLA is going to be a wagon this year. They're supposed to be one Frank, of the number two teams. already in the yeah. top 25. So, I mean, they're going to be tough. There's a lot of mouths to feed on that team. Like yeah. offensively, they have some guys that are coming back that are going to score a lot. And when I watch Watson, I'm I think me and you are in the same boat. I'm I'm more gonna be watching him for the flashes, for the the highlight plays and the consistency when he doesn't have the ball. I don't need him to score twenty. I'm gonna be watching He won't have know, the opportunity to score twenty anyway. He might not. How, and that's probably Hawkins and Johnny Juzang are gonna take all those shots. They're so. they're gonna go crazy. Yeah. I understand. Um but I'm I'm I think the the passing the defensive effort, yep. you know, the size and the potential versatility. I'm really intrigued with Peyton Watson. You know, he, that's one he, of these. He's a wing, and I could see him averaging some stupid number like three blocks a game or something. Yeah, like he that. just I has think those, this kid is that good. He has those plays you're talking about where it's almost like I have a thing when I'm watching guys, when they make a play that just makes you rewind it, I kind of like circle or like make a note, like, okay, you got to pay close attention because he can shift the momentum quickly with yep. some of the things he can do. And I like those players the most, like the most, excuse me, throughout kind of the early portion of the season, because you like to count, watch how count they develop. Me in for, count me in for this guy having one of those plays on defense where he swats the ball forward to one of his teammates and then yeah. he runs down the other end of the floor and gets the alley-oop. And he just completely, as you said, he just changes the momentum of the whole game for UCLA. Cause that, that's the type of energy play that college, especially when you're playing like in a home environment, that's the type of play that gets everybody going. It just it shifts the momentum completely in your favor. And if, as evaluators, you see that play and you're like, Awesome. I'm watching this entire game at 11 p.m. Like, that's how quick it's just like, oh, he made that play. I'm going to watch the entire game and see what he did. I'm just really pumped to watch him because what you're saying earlier, he could swing 
he could skyrocket up boards or he could kind of be like, okay, are you taking a big swing for the fences and drafting him 10th when some might have taken him 16th? I think he's going to go up. I think the tools and scouts and personnel are going to be too intrigued with what he could be down the road with some patience and developing. Um, I'm also really just, I want to see the progress throughout the year. Like, because yeah. at the end of the year, the numbers start all coming together and you're like, oh, oh, this guy's non-conference versus conference is one of the, one of my most favorite comparisons to do statistically. Um, yes. hundred percent. improvement. And if he starts, if he starts producing against Pac-12 players, I am in. I mean, consider me ready to roll with Peyton Watson. He he better because if I'm like if I'm going to like a Rutgers game or something like that, and I'm coming back and I'm staying up till like one in the morning Eastern time to watch UCLA basketball, like he better he damn it he better do something exciting to keep me awake because I'm gonna be I'm I'm getting old man I'm gonna want to pass. Don't it. worry because I'll be up at three a.m. on social media just being like yes the Peyton Watson train is out there of control. <laughs> there we go. You can you you can have that corner absolutely gladly. You can have that corner. Um, I mean, what do but, you th- what do you think, Nathan? I'll I'll throw it right back at you. Do you think you think he's going to end oh, up I'm in? in yeah, I'm in on this five? Already I, in? I I don't know if I'm like 100% in on top five. Yeah. But if if I was making a bet, like yeah, I think his range is is absolutely top seven, top eight right now. Like I'm. Okay, I'm, we're. I'm, I'm I mean, we're in. gonna have to play this back and and at the end of the year. Well, so so here here's the thing, like. We were we we talked about a lot of interesting names last week. We talked about Paolo Bencaro. We talked about Jane Hardy. We talked about Jalen Duran. Like out of all of the guys that we've talked about, I have not seen somebody, and I think I mentioned this on last week's pod too, where I I look at them and I think they're a tier one player for me. I think that Hardy is the one guy who stands out to me right now, who's a tier two guy. I could see Bencaro stepping up into that. I could see Chet stepping up into that. But the rest of these guys, I see them as like tier three, like one through four starters on like a really good the championship level team. A lot of like the next group of guys, like right now that we're going to talk about, we'll probably talk about some of them when we do the international podcast. And there are a few returnees like Jay Nivey who are going to throw in that conversation as well. But like when we're talking about higher level starters slash guys playing a role within a starting lineup on a really good the championship level team, Peyton Watson, like, you see some of the energetic things he can do on the defensive end. And like, that's what I'm saying. Like if he shows any flashes of second level offensive shot making, like I'm going to be like, yeah, he has to be like considered for a top seven, top eight pick. Like how can you not pick him in that range? No, I agree. I think if you have potential versatility defensively, you have fantastic vision as a passer to help potentially run an offense. You got good size, and your athleticism's freakish. Teams are gonna fall in love in a hurry, and yep. if you can showcase that the offense is coming around, teams are really gonna fall in love in a hurry. So, I mean, I'm like you. Let's see if he could show some shot creation, so some upside long term. And if he can do that, it's that's a monster brewing for a draft prospect. Now, this next player, I'm so glad he's not playing on the West Coast because I am going to want to watch him as much as I can. That's right. I'm going to tune into Alabama basketball quite a bit this year. J.D. Davison. I'll just, I'll just say it, dude. I'll just say it. My guy, 
J.D. Davison, I think that he probably is my favorite point guard that I've looked at, freshman or returning or international. This is my guy in terms of top point guard in this class. 6'3", 195 pounds is what he's listed at. He is, without a doubt in my mind, the most physically gifted point guard in this draft class. His motor and his tenacity only add to his appeal as a lead guard at the next level. He's bouncy as all hell. This kid wants to dunk over everyone, despite only being six foot three. My favorite note that I've written down out of any of the notes that I have prepared for this podcast, this kid is a chase down block artist as a guard. Yeah. Right? Like you go back, you watch all the highlights. Like this dude is slapping the glass and then literally doing his whole, I'm not even going to attempt to imitate his flex because I can't flex. I'm not that, not that strong, not that muscular, but this dude just wants to flex on everyone. Um, another really interesting note I wrote down about him is I wouldn't categorize on offense. I wouldn't categorize his first step as among the elite, but his acceleration reminds me of like when I'm watching some of these top running backs in the NFL and they see a hole and they know that they can hit that hole and they just like, they're gone. Like after that first step, they just accelerate out of nowhere and they're gone. I see the same thing with Davidson when he explodes to the rim, like if defenders give him that first step. He's gone and he can split multiple guys helping the back line and hurry. Um, he can hit jumpers from all over the floor off the bounce, the, the catch and shoot type of stuff, the more basic spot up type stuff that has yet to be seen. But when, when he has the ball in his hands, he has to create something towards the end of a shot clock. He can do it. This guy gives me so many Colin Sexton vibes. It's yeah. amazing. It's amazing that he's going to Alabama. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, because Colin Sexton same thing in the NBA. I would consider him a capable passer, but he's not a floor general. He's a bucket getter. He's score first, but he's not that type of floor general guard, which has changed a little bit. NBA teams are embracing that type of point guard leading your team in the NBA. Maybe not as much so for Colin Sexton because he, he's a little bit undersized, but I think J.D. Davison does have good size to him. I like his frame. I think he's going to only continue to add muscle onto it. Like, my main question um, relates back to the Colin Sexton point. Because, like, if that's the type of package in comparison that we're making, at least that I'm making for him, like, that was good enough for a top eight pick in the draft. But J.D. Davison hasn't been projected that high yet in the preseason. What, why do you think that is, at least from what you've seen, Tyler? I think it's one of those, you know, point guards are so fascinating to develop because usually those guys are the best athletes when it comes to quickness, explosiveness. And I think guys always get a little cautious preseason to see if they can show it against much top, tougher competition, you know, cause now you're going against guards that are going to be more your level playing field. And what are you going to do when, if Colin Sexton was guarding you, what are you going to do now? Because he's going to be ready for you instead of just blowing by smaller opponents. When you watch Davison, I think like very quickly, like you said, um, he's just jumps out of the gym. I mean, and tries to dunk everything that possibly can be dunked. You know, it's very exciting to watch him so quickly. You're like, okay, athletically he's a freak, but at the college level, it's going to be like, okay, what 
what can you do now? Are you going to be a complete guard? Can you use all your hesitations and stuff to run an offense? Or were you just going to be a highlight show from high school? That's going to And that's the that's the factor. Like I don't know how much basketball, like legitimate high-level basketball this kid knows how to play. I I haven't gotten the best feel for how he processes the game. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, his energy, his, his the, the way that he just comes off his bravado as a leader, it's so infectious. Mm-hmm. And like that, that's the type of effect that, and, and I'm not going to make a direct comparison to Jalen Suggs. I don't think that Davidson's going to rise and be like a top five pick, but that's the same way that Suggs rose up boards. Like Suggs was projected like late lottery at, at the beginning of last year. And he rose like all the way up. Like, if Davison has the same effect on an Alabama team that he does have some talent around him, if he's like that missing link to letting that team get even further potentially than they did last year, like absolutely he's going to rise up draft boards. And like, I, I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm torn. I know this is going to be one of my guys from a lot of the preseason stuff that I've already watched and, and, and seen, but yeah, I, I, I'm admittedly saying that I don't know how good of a basketball player. He is. I yeah, just think and, he's going to make a lot of plays. And it's fair, you Nathan. You know what I mean? I mean, like, we're talking about these guys October 18th, and there's going to be guys that are projected 20th to 30th in mock drafts preseason, which is normally why I hate early season mock drafts, but I'm, I'm learning. And they're going to go way earlier. They're going to jump up boards because they're going to hit the ground running in college or international and – people are going to be like, okay, we read him wrong as a high school or young talent. And well, I can, I can, I can like count on, I can like count on one hand, like how many pick and rolls I saw him run. Like when I was going back and watching high school stuff, like I I just, I don't know the answer to the question. I've talked to you in previous podcasts. That's where I get hesitant with the explosive athlete because the explosive athlete has been, destroying opponents in high school because he's more athletic than everyone. Now you got to go learn how to play basketball. And I'm not saying Davidson doesn't know how to play basketball. I'm just saying it might be a situation where it's like, he might need a full year to kind of learn the ins and outs. Maybe he's not a one and done. I mean, we don't know. It just happens where things start to click at a different level. The game slows down at a different time. And now, like, I know he's a great athlete. He might be one of the best athletes from a point guard in this next draft class. But I need to see what you can do with the rest of your game. I need to see if you can use hesitations and use that athleticism to set up an offense, set up defenders. I think that's now what we got to figure out with him. But I'm like you, like, the tools, the excitement, the passion, the just tenacity. Yeah, it's fun to get behind in a hurry. and. It's just funny you brought up Colin Sexton because it was the first thing. Like I watched him, and I was like, "Of course, this is a Bama point guard." Like right. it's just right. they're turning out those guys, you know. So, um, no, I get it. I, I I hear exactly what you mean. It's almost like Kira Lewis, you know, and he was, was at Bama. Good. Yeah, said Sexton, the Lewis, and now yeah. Lewis is just the next just guy. Just the good speed, the great athleticism. Like Kira Lewis was even twitchy, but he got out of control. So it's like, can you, can you learn how to play with pace? And I'm excited. And I, I love to hear that it's one of your guys. Cause now I'm going to be watching him even closer. <laughs> I I'm a little split 
on the last guy that we're going to talk about. Yeah. I'm, I'm not as sold quite yet on Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky. I wanted to include him in this conversation. Um, I know that, that I'm a big part of the overstated NBA group on Facebook, and I've had those guys on for the overstated NBA show a bunch. Those, those are my boys. We're going to team up and do a lot more content this year. But a guy in that group, Chase Campbell, who I've also had on this podcast, he's a Kentucky guy. I don't know, man. I don't know. And I'll go into a little bit as to why I don't know. Um, I'll start with some of the positives. He has the best floater I've seen from any point guard in this class. Like, yes. that really is his top-notch touch. His command over the offense is also pretty damn awesome. He's poised. He doesn't rush his decision-making or his scoring. He's smooth, calm, and collected. That that all sounds like a great package for a point guard right there. Um, he seems to do most of his damage inside the arc. I've seen him hit a few three-point shots. He does like his little sidestep three-pointer. I've seen it a little bit. I'm not completely confident or sold on, on the mechanics, but – he lives in the mid-range second box. That that stuff's not going to scare me off. I actually like to see point guards have an understanding of how to operate in that area of the floor. It's only going to better serve them when they get um, to the NBA. Beautiful footwork on drives. He's one of those guards who knows how to slip past defenders and avoid contact around the basket. Um, and that's also a big part of how he sets up his floater game. He is competitive. He's made for the big stage because of his poise. But it, it's, it's funny. I'll see one clip where... The, his manipulation and change of speeds like sets the table up for himself or his teammates to like make a big shot. But at the same time, I don't, I haven't gotten a good read on how high level his creation stuff is yet. Like how, how, how is he going to shake somebody off the dribble at the next level? Does he have that same kind of speed is like, for example, a guy like Shea, right? Shea is the ultimate guard who I would use the word slippery with. Ty Ty is not that size. He's, I don't think he's he's as shifty. He's not as slippery. Like when when we see guys and we have even some of the concerns that I think I have when I'm watching Ty Ty. Maybe I'm just not explaining this in the best way possible to my audience, but I think you know what I'm talking about. When we have questions about these kinds of guards, usually it doesn't always bode out the best at the next level. And I think one thing that's going to take a lot of pressure off of him is having guys like Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz next to him at different times. It's going to be good for him. It's going, to, it's going to take pressure off. Those are two guys we know who can get their own shot in different ways. Like, Washington's a capable elite guard and shot maker, but I question the results of him being the only guy on the court who can create his own offense. That's, like, to me, the biggest question mark about guards coming into the league. If there's no other shot creators on the floor – you have to be able to make something happen at all times for, for everybody else. And that's the swing skill for a lot of league guards. Like what's the biggest reason why Kevin Porter Jr. is now the starting point guard of the future for the Houston Rockets. Not that again, we, we don't make direct comparisons really on this show all that much, but Kevin Porter was on the floor last year with, with a bunch of Houston Rockets who weren't always the best at getting their own shot. And Kevin Porter Jr. always made something happen. Like that's, a really rough comparison because Kevin Porter Jr. is a very special offensive player, but that's some of the expectations that are coming along with the point guard position nowadays in the NBA. You're, you're not always going to be setting the table for other shot makers. Sometimes you have to actually do a lot of that yourself. I like some of the things I've seen from the high school tape from Washington because of all of the characteristics I laid out, but I question how it's going to translate at Kentucky, and then when he gets to the NBA, what are some of your thoughts about Ty Ty? It's it's funny. We just talked about 
JD Davison because I think Tie Time might be like they're opposites. Opposite. They're, yeah, they're literally opposites. So it, it's it's funny because it's just the perfect like opposite conversation. We just went from the athletic guy that I need to see all the skills to now the skills guy that I'm not convinced of the athleticism. And I think when you watch him, like the floater jumped to me right away. I, I was just like, okay, beautiful floater, great touch. Got some composure in the lane. He kind of has some twitchiness to his skills and how to create with, you know, hesitations. But when you see guys at high school that don't jump athletically, you're going to say, okay, now you're going to the next level where there's phenomenal athletes pretty much everywhere. (laughs) How are you going to be able to hold up? Yeah. Yeah, And and there seems like there's just some consistent buzz that keeps like growing with Ty Ty. And um, it seems like the early word from, you know, Kentucky is that he's been shooting it good. I think with a guy that you're not convinced on his athleticism, you need to be sold on the other areas. And I'm not putting him like, I'm not comparing the two specifically, but like, no, I think he, he needs to be wise beyond his years. Uh, yeah. Because, because, and, and he needs to, he needs to maintain that poise and that composure throughout the course of an entire year at Kentucky. I think I know where you're going with the quickly comparison. Yeah. Exactly. It, it seems just like Emmanuel quickly, like a guy that I wasn't sold on his, burst and quickness like i thought he was shifty and i thought he had good touch and was like a potential sharpshooter now i should also say that quickly is one of those guys that i felt like my evaluation was completely wrong on him and he ended up landing in a great spot he looks like he could be a fantastic asset for the knicks this year like i just had him lower than he looks like he's gonna be i i I think we all did although it's funny i think like in washington or like very similar size it, it it happens and i'm the first to admit my mistakes i'm also you know i usually keep quiet on my hits because <laughs> i'm just proud of it so um but that's the one thing it's the opposite conversation and that's what i'm saying about tai tai the skills are all there like you're intrigued you can see that it's more of like a technician um but how far is that athleticism or lack of gonna get you is it going to run you into some trouble? Or are you going to be struggling against tougher defenders? You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I, I mean, I think me and you are pretty close in the same boat when it comes to Tai Tai. But it's it's one thing to see him operate like his crafty self at the high school level. Um, like when he's able to manipulate the defense and take guys off guard inside the arc like they expect him to score and he takes his fair share of shots obviously but he's not selfish and he has as as we've talked about all those little hesitation moves that like you can catch somebody off guard at the high school level maybe they haven't seen exactly what you're putting on the table quite yet but like all of these guys in college that he's going to go up against in the sec and in other major programs that kentucky plays this year like duke for example right off the bat like these guys were all tops out of the high schools that they were coming out of. Like they will have seen a lot of this stuff before. It's exactly. Will will a lot of his stuff work on guys in college? Is it that deceptive? Is it that shifty? Is it that crafty? Or is he going to maybe fall short at times? 
I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think you necessarily do either, but no, he's one of those I guys. <laughs> he, he's one of those guys that you and I can both acknowledge, though, that like we can come back to this podcast in like five months and we just look stupid for, for all the concerns that we had because he just he blows everybody away. Even if he gets off to a slow start, maybe he does take that SGA path for Kentucky. And there's just a moment like the second half of the year when you get more into the, the meat and potatoes of the conference schedule where it just clicks. And Cal yeah. puts all of his trust in this kid, and he proves everybody right. He he leads that Kentucky team on a massive run because he does have those two guys next to him. Like I mentioned, like everybody else on that team, um, like like Damian Dollins, like Keon Brooks, like these are all guys who need something to be set up and created for them. But I think because Washington has those two other guards next to him, who can maybe clean up some of his mistakes when something he tries isn't the prettiest, and he can at least just get the ball to one of those guys and they can make something happen with it because they're that elite of shooters. And in Grady's case, at least at the college level, he is an elite shot creator. You know, maybe it looks better than it is. Like, I don't like there's so there's there's multiple different outcomes that can happen with this kid. And I think that it all comes back to the conversation that we have over and over again. We need the college tape to properly evaluate somebody like him. Like for, for somebody like Ty Ty Washington, just the high school film isn't going to cut it. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's the same way with Davison, but it's a little different because he is that level of athlete we know can hang on an NBA court. Now it's just about teaching him more of the skill side of the game and how to operate in different levels as a lead guard. But with Washington, yeah, we have those concerns. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you're watching high school tape, the bottom picture when we're heading into a college season is you try to watch these prospects and you're like, okay, what's the weakness? What is he going to have to improve on at the next level to survive? You know what I'm saying? Like to, to become the best version of himself or to develop. And once you find the weakness, it's like, I personally, it's like, okay, well, Ty Ty's not a great athlete. I, it's not like I'm rooting for him to fail. It's more of just like a, can he prove that, that weakness isn't glaring enough that it's going to make him struggle at the college level. Like, can, can he still have success with that not being his strength? And there's a good chance that he can, you know, because of what you're saying is he's surrounded by players that he's not going to have to be the primary option offensively. And I think that's the most important thing is you're trying to find weaknesses that you can be like, okay, that's what I'm going to be watching for. That might be the lower part of his game. But if he can show me that it's respectable, like, okay, then you actually have a prospect that can potentially make some noise and maybe he becomes someone that rises up draft boards. But yeah, I, 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 I'm like you. I think Ty Ty is interesting because of the skills. And he does a lot of stuff that's really important for a point guard, but you just need to see if like he can use that athleticism enough to create or blow by guys. You you mentioned quickly to me, he's like this really, really weird combination of, of Maxi and SGA, but mm -hmm. he's obviously smaller than SGA and he's definitely like two steps slower than Maxi. So that's yep, Maxi's like, a good one. That's, That's why I'm like really intrigued to see how this all works out. Yeah, I, I think Maxi's a spot on just kind of those vibes, you know. Um, it's just interesting with these guys because it's not it's not like you're saying they're bad athletes. It's just one of those. It's different to be a good athlete and then have a, be a good athlete with the ball in your hand. You know, it's a, it's two yeah. different worlds because 
you got to blow by guys one way and the other way is like you're just defending quickly so i mean yeah i hear you the the the, the draft class always is going to have that conversation of like the raw guy that's a super athlete or the not super athlete that's crafty it's like you got to figure out if you can live with the weaknesses or hide them in so many words. So preseason, which of the two lead guards would you rather have? Which of these two that we're talking about? Um, uh, I know I put you on the spot, the, but. No, no. I mean, off of the limited. It depends. It's pre- I use the word preseason for a reason. Like it, it's preseason. I hate to I give mean, the politically correct answer. Yeah. You don't have to stand on the same island for five months. Like when we come back down the road, your answer can be different. But where are you at right now? Which one would you rather have? I hate to give the politically correct answer, like I'm running for office, but depending on the strength and build of my roster, I would probably lean more towards Ty Ty, just because I might not need him to be the guy, and he might be able to do some stuff that can help me offensively in a various amount of ways. Now, Davison might be an athlete who the switch flicks and he's freakish on the court. And like you said, he could be just one of those guys that takes off. But I think if my team was built that I didn't need someone to be the guy, maybe someone like Ty Ty helps more, even though I know you're going to tell me like I'm crazy and your boy. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not because I could very well swing around to, to the other end as well. Yeah. Inside with Ty Ty in like five months from now, because it, it's funny. My, my irrational love for Colin Sexton is carrying the conversation for me between these two guards. However, I already pointed out, I think that Ty Ty is this really weird combination between Maxi and SGA and, SGA was my favorite guard prospect, lead lead guard prospect in that draft class. I, I, I guess Luca's a point guard in the NBA. Like, fine, whatever. But I'm talking about like point guards, point guards, like far and away. And there were some really interesting guards in there. Like Trevon Ball, Ball was in that class. Like there were some interesting other point guards that everybody was talking about before they got to SGA. SGA was like the fourth or the fifth guy down like that point guard list. But I was always the most intrigued by him because there was just something when you watched him, you couldn't explain it, but he just did things on the court where you're just like, that's, that's like star potential stuff. And nobody wanted to make the bet that he was going to be a star, but I always had a feeling about that guy. I get those same vibes from Washington, but my life extent is just fantastic. I'm just, I'm going to stay with Davidson too. I've been in love with the Colin Sexton, Kira Lewis vibes like the last couple of years. And I feel like I'm struggling with the Kentucky guys. Like I'm reading them wrong. So maybe I'm just like, no, give me Ty Ty because I don't want to just, we're just also not doing a lot that's conducive to NBA basketball. Yeah. Like, like Cal, Cal is one of the best defensive college coaches I think I've ever seen, but I have, I never know what that team's going to do offensively. And it seems like, every single one of their players shows something in their bag. Not not even like two or three years down the road in the NBA, like in their rookie season. And we're just like, if this guy could have just done this at Kentucky, maybe they would have won a few more games. So it, that's that's an absolutely fair comment to make. I, I have no idea what Kentucky's going to do offensively this year. No, no idea. I never do. And going off what you just said with SGA, SGA was one of those guys I was like, at first, I was just like, 
he's good. He's going to be good. I just don't know how good he's going to be. And then I kept watching him and I was like, okay, he's probably going to be better than I think. And then I keep watching him. And I was like, okay, I really start to like this guy. But I just constantly kept struggling with Kentucky guys. I don't know why, because I'm like you, the flashes, you're like, there's a reason he's went to Kentucky. And, and now, then, and now SGA is one know, of the most, he, now he's one of the most complete scoring guards. In yeah. And now he's like, Everything I wanted him to be, he ended up yep. being. So I'm like, okay, thanks, Calipari. Like, why couldn't you have given me more flashes of that at college? But um, yep. no, I like them both. I'm intrigued. This this class is gonna be fun. Like, I'm I'm getting really hyped about it, and I never get this deep into the class this early. But, this is hey, this is how it deeper. always is, though. This we're like we're we're optimistic, and then we're pessimistic, and then we become optimistic again as we watch the games, and then we go way to the optimistic side. Like, like this is this is just like how it goes. For, and for and then there's always the one, someone always like a media guy always tweets out and is like. You know, scouts are a little disappointed with the strength of the class this year. And then I swear three oh, months yeah. later, someone goes, one of the deepest classes we've seen. In it just literally happens every year, I swear. So, uh, I'm not going to say chucking darts, but Chuck, that, that's for you. That I didn't throw him under the bus. I'm not no, 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 but listen, Chuck's awesome. I was just on his podcast the other day. Him and I had an incredibly fun job. I mean... He, he, I think he is correct. Like 2020 and 2021 were two of the deepest draft classes possibly ever. But I don't think that's a trend that's going to keep continuing. Like, I do think that those were blip outlier years more than they will be a trend moving forward. And, and, and that's okay. But yeah, I, I like to be optimistic on this podcast. I know that Chuck is absolutely optimistic on his. Like, I think we actually do need more of that optimism in this community and that's why i think that i like having you on the show as well because i know that you bring a lot of that to the table we we need less turns of the punch bowl and yes. more pure optimism in the draft community, so. and, and i have to say this just because it's one of my things i've always wanted to vent on it's so easy to be negative and the negativity just sucks like why can't like i when i'm evaluating guys i always want to focus on what they can do positively like what do what can they do? What what type of skill set are they gonna bring at the NBA? Like what is the positive side of the game? Like and I feel like there's so many people that focus on what can he do? Like or like what what does he what does he suck at? And it's like, why are you focusing on that right away? Like, let's figure out the positive side. Let's go off the positive of what they can do. And I understand it's important part of the evaluation process to figure out weaknesses and figure out, you know what they might struggle at the and next level, but that's why Chad Ford and Sam Vecini's jobs sometimes suck too, because as much as they want to be scouts, as much as they try to give their opinions on players, part of their job is also to report what they hear from yes. scouts and executives. And it, it, it's all anonymous. They're not going to break any of their sources on yeah. the show. So it's like they give like these pessimistic reports about these players. So we kind of hear that pessimism and then it's kind of just, funny that that then chad and sam get to actually share their own opinions and they're trying to be the optimist that they just are as people and it's yeah. just a really interesting mix of comments on, on on one show but thankfully we're we're not insiders over here i'm not doing any reporting and anything that i hear behind the scenes when i talk to people i try not to say it on this podcast because i just i don't want to have conflicting opinions i don't want to be fighting with myself on the podcast i just want to give my thoughts my evaluations and 
I have, like I said, I, I always try to share what the conversations are like behind the scenes. Like what are some of the things that people are talking about? And I give my spin and my answer on it. I, I don't, I don't want to be the negative Nancy on my own podcast. It's just unfortunately the discourse leads us that way. Like sometimes we do have to have negative evaluations on guys and it's just how it is. But. I, I completely agree. I mean, when I hear something, I, you know, you, you can get tips on stuff that's juicy, but I personally just don't see the benefit sometimes. I'm kind of like, wow, that's interesting. And I usually use that to go, you know, if it's about a draft prospect, maybe I'll go, did I miss something? You, you invest, know, I, I exactly. You myself. use it to investigate, but you yeah, never, and I'm, at the same time, you never use that point or that criticism to form your own bias completely. You right. And to, you have to go investigate it. Yeah. You got to investigate. I don't like being a sources guy just because if you get one source wrong, it's like, everyone's like, Oh, this guy's never right. And it's like, well, okay. But um, there's just, it's one of those things where it's like, what, what's, what's the benefit here? But I, I, that's exactly what it comes to evaluation. If you hear something about a prospect, I think it's a whole other thing of like, well, did I miss something? Or if someone's high or low on a guy, you're like, are they wrong? You know, it's like almost like a challenge to yourself of trying to figure it out. But um, no, we, I, I, I think you're exactly right. Like we got to be positive. We want these guys to succeed, but exactly. at the same time, we're trying to figure out like, where they may go, where, where's their best chance of success. So I don't know. I'm getting pumped. I can barely hang on. I'm, I'm just, I need college hoops to be here. I need the full slate of everything. We we only have, I believe two more Mondays as, as, as preview shows before we get to the show that we'll record right before. Um, and we'll probably try to release it on Tuesday, November 9th. We'll do our whole preview for that first week of games. And I know that, a lot of our conversation that day when we record will be about the Champions Classic. That's the big matchup of four of the top programs in the entire country, but we'll try and lay everything out. But um, that's at least going to do it for this show. I believe next week we're going to try to hit on some returning guys that we're excited about. I already mentioned Jay and Ivy. And then the week after that, I hope to have a special guest on to go through some international prospects um, to kind of wrap up our 2022 NBA draft preview. I know Tyler, you want to dip your, your feet into more of the international side as well. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be, I'll be really interested to, to get some of your takes on those guys because you, you listen, you're, you come on this show. You want to see the film. We got the most actual film on those guys and the returning guys. So these next two weeks should be chock full of some awesome takes, but um, thank you everyone so much for listening out there. Tyler, just give my audience one more reminder as to where they can find you on social media. I'm at backcourt V, which is backward violation. And, um, no, it's been, it's been fantastic. I, like I say, always can't wait to keep talking draft throughout the year. And, uh, thanks for having me a part of this. Absolutely. No problem. And I will be back on this podcast. I believe Tyler, you're going to join me when, when I interview Zach Noble. On Wednesday, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, come on, it's it's the peak time of the year. Give me as much basketball talk as I can handle. Yeah, I, I think that sounds I think great. I'm going to be having Zach Noble on. We're going to do our all rookie first and second team predictions. I know we'll technically be in the NBA season. I know I said that my NBA preview content was done, but I'm going to be focusing a lot more on the rookies this year. I, I think I kind of have to give those predictions to my audience. Yeah, you have to. It, it would feels be criminal if, if I didn't. Exactly. So we're 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 gonna have that podcast out later this week. 
If you aren't following Draft Deeper on social media already, at Draft Deeper on Twitter, make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. The content's only beginning this year, 2022. We have so many other things planned. Tyler and I have so much planned that we can't wait to share with everyone all of our content that we're going to do with some other content creators. Those announcements are coming soon. Chuck, Chuck literally joked about that with me on his podcast. He's like, I don't know if I can get the exclusive on Chuck and Darts about what you guys are up to. But, and I was like, ah, I, not, not that I wouldn't give you an exclusive, Chuck. I just can't, I can't announce it just yet. I, I didn't get the okay from everybody else. No, no, it's not ready yet. I mean, it's, it is almost ready, but it's, I, it's I don't technically, know. If it's, ready. It's, it's technically ready, but we got to have, we, everyone's got to do it at once. So, yeah. Um, but, but, but thank you so much again to my audience listening to this podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.